read the bulletin well and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I read the newsletter that we send out and sometimes I don't. I'll just be honest with you. I'm just as bad as you all are, okay? Because sometimes you read it and sometimes you don't. But I did not realize that that yesterday was birthday for Miss Kay Harris. She is now 94 years young. And so happy birthday and congratulations. <clears throat> and I know that others celebrate birthdays. We were talking and, and she told me, she says, it was my birthday yesterday. And you ought to be proud of that as you, as you are. And so we're grateful that you're here. And, and I tell you, I, you know, a healthy church, I believe, is represented by people in varieties of stages of life. Whether you're just getting going or you're 94 years young and you've been around just a little while. I am so grateful that you're here this morning. And so, uh, anyway, thanks for being here. Let's pray together and we'll turn our hearts toward God's word. Lord, we thank you this morning for for our church, uh, for the people that, uh, Lord, make up our church. We thank you for those who, young, old, and in between, are here this morning to hear from you. Lord, we know that you'll be speaking, so give us ears to hear the message that you were saying to us this morning. Lord, we give you glory and praise. We humble ourselves before you this morning, knowing, Lord, that without you we have nothing. Lord, we are desperate this morning for you and for your presence and for a touch, a word just from you. So, Lord, please bring it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I found out recently what is, what is wrong with America, and I have the answer, just so you know. Some of you talk about these things. I know there's a group of fellows that gather about every morning up at the store here, and they, over a cup of coffee for three or four hours, they discuss the problems and what is wrong with America. And I want you to know that I have figured it out what is wrong with America. And not long ago, I pulled up to the drive-thru at a coffee shop. And I was, they said, can I help you? I said, I'd like a large coffee. And, and then there ensued the problem with America. They said, hot or cold? <laughs> I said, what in the world are you talking about? Hot or cold? It's coffee. <laughs> Hello? I said, I, just, I, said I, just want, I just want coffee. Hot or cold? I, I said, I just want a large coffee. Would you like that hot or cold? I said, what country am I in? Hot or cold? I said, hot? You know, I mean, how else? It's America, for crying out loud. Give me some hot coffee. I know, listen, I know some of you like this cold coffee. It's just, it's, it's, it's not right. It's, it's, um... <laughs> I was so grateful to get back to, to Future Grounds Coffee there on 12th Street, where they don't ask you if you want hot or cold coffee. They just know what you want, you know, when you walk in. They start fixing my stuff when I walk in. Just give me some hot coffee, please. I'm a little disappointed, though. They, they're previewing it. They say, try our cold brews. I'm like, eh, don't, don't, please don't go there, you know. Just hot or cold. That's the problem with America. We like weird stuff. It's, it's odd. I want my coffee hot. Hot. I don't take anything in it. Just give me black coffee as hot as you can get it. That's what I want. That's right. <laughs> Welcome with Jesus right there. You know. So I want my coffee hot. Now I want my water cold. I want ice cold water. I don't like drinking lukewarm kind of water. I, I despise lukewarm or cold coffee. If, I, if my coffee starts to get a little bit cool, it's going in the microwave where I'm pouring it out. I'm getting some new stuff in there. It's going to be piping hot. And I want my water ice cold. Like ice cold. Not, not sort of, you know, I want it ice cold. To me, 
the only way you drink those things. You drink coffee hot, you drink water ice cold. Anything in the middle is kind of bleh. It's just not good, you, you know. I think, in all of that anyway, I think I get a glimpse of what Jesus was talking about to the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. You may be familiar with this passage, even if you don't know that you've ever heard it before. You might have heard some of this. There's a lukewarm church that Jesus says makes him want to puke. That's what he says. Revelation chapter 3, if you want to get there, it's the very last book in the Old Testament. As I've told you before, if you get to the maps, you've gone too far. Turn back to the left just a little bit. You get to the book of Revelation chapter 3. We are concluding today a series about the church. Essentially, the question that we've been asking is, what does Jesus want from us if we're in church? If we call ourselves a church, if you're a member of this church or a member of another church, or if you're a regular attender somewhere, it matters to you, I know. And so what do we need to be doing? What does Jesus have to say about it? After all, he's the one who established a church, so maybe we ought to listen to what he has to say. What does Jesus want from his church? And so we looked as sort of as our, our springboard passage, if you will. We built off of Matthew chapter 16 where the, the church is really introduced for the very first time and, and Jesus talks with his disciples. And, and so what we've done is we've gone through and we've looked at what, what are we to believe? What are the basics that we, we have to understand and we have to believe if we're going to call ourselves Christians? And, and then we looked at, at the idea that Jesus told Peter that he would be instrumental as a leader of the church. And so a long time ago now, it seems, we, we looked at the relationship between the, the church leaders, the pastor and the church congregation. What's that? relationship supposed to be. And then Jesus promised in Matthew 16, verse 18, that he would build his church. And so we looked at how, how does Jesus want us to partner with him in building his church? And it was all about his mission and his message and his methods. And then Jesus talked to them in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, about how they were to handle the scripture. And so we had a sermon on how do you understand and how do you study the Bible? How do you understand this thing? And then we, we looked at in verses 24 to 28 of Matthew 16, Jesus began to tell the disciples that, that they, they, there was a cost to following him. And so we looked at the idea of the cost of discipleship, doing whatever it takes to follow Jesus. And, and then verses 21 to 23 of Matthew 16, Jesus has a very interesting interaction with the apostle Peter. He began to tell his disciples, we're told there in the scripture, that he was going to suffer and die. And Peter says, no, 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 no. Not going to happen. And Jesus rebukes him, the scripture says, calls him out very, very pointedly and says, you're in my way. Get out of my way, Satan, he says. Get behind me. Get out of my way. You, you are going to mess this thing up. And so what we've done over the last three or four weeks, last three or four sermons, is to look at where churches go wrong. How do we get in the way of what Jesus wants to accomplish? That's what we've look, been looking at. And so today, as we wrap this thing up, we're going to look at a fourth way that churches can, can really go wrong. How do we get it wrong? Revelation chapter 3 beginning in verse 14. Jesus had sent, now this is the seventh of seven letters that he had sent to churches by way of the apostle John, who's getting a revelation from Jesus on uh, the island of Patmos as he's in exile. Uh, the last book in the New Testament gives us a variety of things, but one of the things it gives us is seven letters to seven different churches. Now in each of these, he had said something nice about the church. 
hey, I'm about to drop some bad news on you, but let me give you a little good news first. You know how to give how to give criticism? You give a compliment first, and then you stick the knife in their back, right? Is that how? No. You give a compliment first, and then you say, hey, you know, I love these things about you, and, and here are some things you can work on. Isn't that nice? Jesus, of course, is, is maybe not as politically correct as us, but he does compliment these churches on something that they're doing well. And then he says, in every case, I have this against you. Here's what you're doing wrong. The seventh church, however, gets no compliment. They got nothing good. There's nothing that Jesus has to say good about the church at Laodicea, which should tell us that is a major, major problem. This one is different. It wasn't that Jesus has no hope for this church or its people, because we're going to find out he loves them and he wants them to turn around. It's just that their situation is really bad, and unfortunately, as we'll see, they don't know it. They don't know that it's bad. They're getting together every Sunday morning. They're worshiping the Lord, they think. Everything's going well for them, and Jesus has nothing good to say about their church. Look at what he says, beginning in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation, says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you were lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I'm rich, I've become wealthy and need nothing, and you don't know that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich. And white clothes so that you may be dressed and your shameful nakedness not be exposed. And ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be committed and repent. Listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and have dinner with him and he with me. The victor, I will give him the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I also won the victory and sat down with my father on his throne. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus here is dealing with a church that makes him sick. And we're going to learn more about this church as we go through this. He's writing, of course, as we just saw, to the church at a place called Laodicea. Now, Laodicea was a town, very interesting town. It was located, uh, situated at the intersection of two major roads, run, one that ran east to west and one that ran north to south. And so it's kind of at this intersection, a major trade route. And so they profited from all of this trade and they took advantage of it. And they became known, the people of Laodicea, for things like their banking and their medicine and their manufacturing of clothing and things like that. And they were so rich, in fact... That when an earthquake in 60 AD destroyed their city, and the emperor offered money, financial assistance, federal aid, if you will, to help them rebuild their city, they said, no thanks, we'll take care of it. They were so rich that they didn't need the government to help them rebuild their city after an earthquake, and they rebuilt it. By the time that John is writing, somewhere probably 80, 90 AD, they rebuilt their city, and they had done it all by themselves. They wanted to be seen as self Sufficient. Now, as we've seen in each of the sermons on how churches go wrong, each of the churches that we've discussed kind of took on the, the traits of the community, if you will. And so when Jesus is writing to this church at Laodicea, he's writing to a group of people who viewed themselves as self 
sufficient. They were just like their community. And so the problem was very, very simply stated. If you can picture them saying to Jesus, we got this. We're good. We got this. That's the problem that, that Jesus is going to address. The problem is, we got this. The, the earthquake hits a city. Yeah, we got this. Anything comes up, we got this. No big deal. And you can hear their individual members saying, I, I got this. I know what I'm doing. I, I can take care of myself. We, we seem to, you know, have served ourselves well in the past and so on. And then we're, we're good to go. Now, self-sufficiency, unfortunately, is never good in God's eyes. Now, it's something that we... We, we want to do here in America. I'll admit that Jesus is not being very American right here when he's talking to these churches. He's not, he's not, he's pretty un-American. It kind of like the people like cold coffee. He's just, he's, he's being really un-American right now by saying self-sufficiency is a problem. You know, in, in America, we want to say, I can stand on my own two feet. You know, it, it, the American dream, do you know what the American dream is built on? Owning what? Owning what? One thing. Your own home. American dream is built on owning your own home. Do you realize that that's the, out of, coming out of World War II and you got the GI Bill and all this? The, the goal was that everybody could own their own home. The American dream built on that. So that what? So that you can be independent. So you don't have to live, you know, with your folks anymore. So that you can stand on your own two feet. And certainly, parents, if you're raising children, the older you they they get, the older they get, the more you want them to stand on their own two feet. Right? Get out of my house, dude. You're eating all my food still. Get out. Get out. Get your own place, man. Don't come back, you know. You know, then they come back. Of course, maybe they bring grandkids. You know, if grandkids can come back. You don't eat my food. You get out of here. You go back to your own place. Kids are welcome, not you. Jesus being very un-American because he is shooting holes in our idea of the American dream right here. He's looking at a group of people that are self-sufficient. They've got it all together. They can afford their own place. And Jesus says, you guys don't even understand. He points out, I think, three major issues with this sort of we got this kind of mentality as he goes through what he talks about here with the church at Laodicea. The first problem that they encounter because they they got this is that they become very comfortable. They become very, very comfortable. Look at verse 17. He says, because you say I'm rich and I've become wealthy. Now, for those of you that are rich and have become wealthy, we are about to pass the plates again, just so you <laughs> You feel very comfortable in most cases, don't you? Guess what? Financial issues? That's eh, not a problem. We can, we can, we're okay. We can handle that. There's something about having financial resources to cover your needs that makes you feel comfortable, doesn't it? Everything's good. Uh, we're, we're okay. In fact, these people could look and say, man, look all we've accomplished. We told the emperor, we don't need your money. We'll take care of our city ourselves. And they did. They were so wealthy. As a result of their wealth, as a result of their riches, they didn't need help from anyone. They were just very, very comfortable. Lots of resources, everything going well. Now, you can see them sort of being set up for problems. Why? Because pride comes before what? A fall. Pride comes before a fall, the Scripture says. Uh, Pride blinds us to what really matters. The things that should matter to this church probably don't matter. 
Now, we can easily fall into the same trap. Do you realize that we here in America and in an American church are probably more like the church at Laodicea than any of the other churches? This may be the one that we say, hmm, boy, I wish Jesus hadn't said that. We can easily fall into the same trap. People in a church like this that's going well. I mean, look around just for a second this morning. Look around. Count the empty seats. Count them. How many you got next to you? Three, four in some cases. There's a whole row right here, by the way. Another one right here. I don't know why nobody wants to sit right here. It's good seats. Anybody? Takers? No? No, okay. Not many empty seats, are there? In about a week and a half, we're going to have a business meeting. And and we are going to vote on, on the church budget for next year. And you know what we don't have to worry about? Paying our bills. Bills are paid. Plus some. we got about $50,000 sitting in the building fund right now. Sitting there. We probably, I don't know if Martha's in here or not. I won't, I won't quiz her. There they are. Um, can, you, can you tell, maybe I will quiz you since you're sitting here. Can you tell me how much extra beyond the building fund that we have currently just in general fund excess right now? About how much? About eighty to one hundred thousand dollars. So we have we have a significant chunk of money that's that's just there, right? We're taking care of, aren't we? I mean, building is full. The bills are paid plus some. You know what that can make us? Pretty comfortable. Everything's good. Okay. All right. Everything's good. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can get so comfortable that we no longer need Jesus. You realize that? Do you understand that's the message he's saying to the church at Laodicea? Ah, we got this. But hold, whoa, 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 hold on. Because you say you're rich, because you say you're wealthy, because all your needs are met, that's the problem he's saying. The church was not only comfortable, but it led them also to being very casual. Their comfortability, everything's taken care of, everything's good. It's all fine. And let me just say, there's nothing inherently wrong with having a full building and money in the bank. (laughs) Better than the alternative, right? We'd just soon have people here at church, and we would just soon have our finances be in a healthy state. So don't misread me. But what for them the problem became was because they were so comfortable and had everything taken care of, they just kind of became casual. Look at the end of verse 17, right? The middle of verse 17. You say, I am rich, I become wealthy, and what? And need nothing. Nothing. Ah, Everything's good. No big deal. We don't need anything. I'm good. Now this isn't about them being calm in the face of disaster like an earthquake and hey, okay, we're we're okay. Just just take it easy. That's not what this is about. The church at Laodicea wasn't just cool, calm, and collected and therefore to be commended for their simple faith in the Lord. That's not what Jesus is saying. Instead, they became casual in their faith. It really didn't matter to them anymore. I mean, think of it. If you've got all your needs met, why in the world do you need God? Unless you realize that everything that you have has come from Him. But they say, I need nothing. I'm good. Kind of like things the way they are. 
Uh, I don't really uh, you know, want anything to be different. Just don't mess it up for me. That's the kind of church that we're dealing with. These types of casual churches and casual Christians are very resistant to anything different than what they're doing right now or what they believe they had done in the past. They're very averse to risk and to anything that's new because the past can become a hero to them. This casual church probably looked back and said, man, things have been going so well. Please just don't mess anything up. Man, because if you do anything different, if you do anything new, oh, what if it doesn't work? What if we spend money on something that doesn't work out? They probably were very nervous about those things. But you know what the Apostle Paul said about the past? He said, everything that I thought was for my gain, I count as loss, he said in Philippians chapter 3, for the surpassing glory of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, I, I, I look back and I leave everything in the past so that I can press on, keep going toward what God has for me new today and tomorrow. This church at Laodicea was very casual in its faith, not really caring if God did anything new or not. A casual church is also ineffective in the Great Commission because they just figure, eh, we're good. This self-sufficiency caused them to be comfortable and casual. Some of you tried to guess the third one and you're not going to get it. It starts with a C. The third one is crippled. Cross it out. Right crippled in over top of it. Erase it. Man. I've got a friend who attends here most every single week and he he comes to me after the service. He said, I was two for three. And I was three for three. Like, good job. I don't know if it's good that he and I think alike. I don't know what that says about us. But ultimately, this kind of church, this kind of living leads to us being crippled. Look at verse 17. He says, because you say I'm rich, I become wealthy and I need nothing. And you don't know what? That you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. What? They think they've got it all together. But Jesus says, look, you're comfortable living. You're casual Christianity. Your, your lukewarm approach to me has led you to being absolutely crippled. He says you are wretched. That means you're under great hardship. Great hardship? We got everything taken care of. We rebuilt the city 30 years ago, man. We didn't even need the emperor for that. We're good. They don't feel wretched. But could it be that Jesus sees their comfort as, in fact, a great hardship for them? Because sometimes when they get so comfortable, guess who they don't trust anymore? They don't trust Jesus. They won't step out in faith. I've heard that the pastor's job in any church is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, that's part of my role, to comfort those who are going through a hardship and to kind of needle those who have become too comfortable, myself included. He says you're wretched. He also says you're pitiful. What's he saying? I feel sorry for you. Wait a minute. How in the world could Jesus feel sorry for us? We're the envy of all the other churches and towns. We got it all together. We got this. I mean, we, we, look, at our, look at our attendance. Look at our bank account. Look at what we give and so on and so forth. We take care of everything we have. And we are to be envied. And Jesus says, nah, I feel sorry for you. You're pitiful. He says also you're poor. Like a beggar poor. Like someone back then who would sit at the gate of the city and beg. And that's the only thing they got. Now this is a true insult because they were the city, as I've mentioned, that didn't need any assistance. 
they were anything but poor. Very wealthy members, I'm sure, in their church. But it's because of that self-sufficient attitude that Jesus looks at their spiritual condition and says, you're bankrupt. You may have it all in your eyes, but you have nothing, he says, in my eyes. You're poor. And then he says, you're blind. Now that's a figure of speech, of course. He says, you can't even see what's really going on. You, You don't even understand your true state. Your comfort, your feeling like everything is good. It's blinded you to reality, he says. And what's really going on underneath is not good. And then he says, you're naked. No way, they'd say. We manufacture clothes for the entire region, which they did. I mean, we're fully clothed. Look at, look at our clothes. But in the eyes of Jesus, their spiritual state is naked and shameful. And it's so bad, he says. Look at verse 15. I know your works, that you are neither hot, you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. It's like taking a sip of lukewarm coffee. It's it's like that cold stuff they try to serve you. Makes makes me sick. It's like warm water to drink. Now, here's the thing about Laodicea that they would have understood when Jesus mentions this lukewarm stuff. I'd always been taught, just so you know, and maybe you're the same way, that Jesus is here absolutely saying that I wish you were either fervent and on fire for me or that you didn't care anything about me at all. The more that I studied that this week, though, the more I'm, I'm unsure if that's the actual right interpretation. We can argue on your way out the door in the 15 seconds. I get to shake your hand if you want to. But here's what I have come to the conclusion of. The Laodicean people had to pump their water in from somewhere else. Okay? And by the time it arrived, guess what it wasn't? Hot or cold? Guess what it was? Lukewarm. Blech. It wasn't hot and soothing. It wasn't cold and refreshing. It was lukewarm. You know what lukewarm water was for them? Useless. What's Jesus saying about this church? You're useless. You're not hot water that's soothing. You're not cold water that's refreshing. You're nothing. Pathetic, he says. Terrible tasting. Ugh. And he says it's so bad it makes me sick. I just want to puke because it's lukewarm water that's good for nothing, he says. So I don't really believe that he's saying, well, I wish everybody would just reject me or, 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 you know, or, or go all in from, I really think he's just saying, you know, just like that water that arrives and it's not hot and it's not cold, it's pretty well useless. That's the way this church was. Jesus wants nothing to do with this so-called church. The problem, we got this, has a very simple solution. Jesus gives it to us really here, and that is very simply that we got nothing. The solution that we got this is we got nothing. Some of you guessed that, didn't you? You're good. We got nothing. Instead of being comfortable, we are to be desperate. He says in verse 18, I advise you to, to buy gold. He says pure and refined gold so that you can be rich. He's talking about alluding to pure faith, the pure gospel, not the tainted stuff. Not the tainted stuff that that just teaches you how to be comfortable in this world. That tells you that the, the blessing of God is best seen in how much you have and how well you live here on this earth. 
No, desperate, he says, to buy gold, pure gold, the, the true message of Jesus. That says this world is not our home. That Jesus can give you rest and he will give you eternal life. He says, be desperate to not only to buy gold, but to buy white garments, he says. White clothes. So that you can be dressed, he says, and your shameful nakedness not be exposed. The white garments are representative of pure righteousness done out of a true heart of love for Jesus Christ. And then he says, not only to buy gold and and these white clothing, but to buy ointment. For what? To heal your eyes so that you can see clearly. So that you can fix the problems. So So that you're not blinded anymore. Be desperate, he says, to get from him the gold and those clothing and the the ointment. And instead of being casual, we are to be absolutely dependent on Jesus. Where do we get this gold, these white garments, this ointment? If we got nothing, if we admit it like Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, I got nothing. Where do we get these things? Where does he say in verse 18, he says, I advise you to buy from whom? From me, he says. We can only get the true gospel from Jesus Christ. We can only get true righteousness from Jesus. We can only get true healing and see the world for what it is from Jesus. And that's really the whole point, I think, of the Bible. I really think when you boil the scripture down and you say, okay, tell me the point of the Bible. I think it's real simple. Trust Jesus. I really think that's the point of the Bible. The message to us anyway is to trust Jesus. Why? Because he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the true Son of God sent from heaven. No more self-sufficiency. He says, come to me, follow me. Trust Jesus. Be dependent on Him. Surrender your life. And instead of being crippled, we can be made disciplined. Now that's kind of a dirty word because we don't like the idea of being disciplined. But do you realize the reason that Danny can play the piano and I can't? If we were to have a piano duel... I wouldn't enter the contest. You know why? Because I've never disciplined myself to play the piano. I'm not free to do it because I've never disciplined myself to do it. You discipline yourself to do something so you can be free to do it. Jesus says in verse 19, look at it. As many as I what? Love, I rebuke. That means I expose you. I kind of call you out. And discipline, that means I educate you. As many as I love, that's what I do to these folks. I rebuke them. I discipline them. So what? He says, so be committed. That's That word there means zealous. It means hot. And repent. Turn around. Do something different. Now, the ultimate message here to the church at Laodicea is not that Jesus is angry with them. The ultimate message is not that Jesus is just out to get them and he's going to show all the other churches that read this letter, oh, look how bad Laodicea is. If you go back to verse 14, he says, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation, says, so here's what we have. We have this faithful and true witness. You can take his word to the bank along with all that money you got, Laodiceans. He he, He is faithful. He is true. Well, you can count on what he says. And then he says in uh, in verse 16, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. So guess what? Judgment is coming. But then verse 20, he says, listen, or the King James says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice... 
Anybody there? Anybody listening in that church? Anybody say, you know, okay, I, yeah, I understand it now. He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, then I will enter and we'll sit down and share a meal, the ultimate sign of fellowship and friendship back then. So, so the faithful witness says, you can count on my words, and judgment is coming, but what? In verse 20, grace is available. This isn't a message about Jesus being angry with the church and just wanting to punish somebody. And so this morning, if you find yourself saying, you know what, I, th- I feel like I'm a little lukewarm in my relationship with Jesus Christ. The invitation is to open the door and to receive Jesus completely and to share in His grace and receive His fellowship. To say, as you lay it all down, look, I, I got nothing. Lord Jesus, you know I, I got nothing. And so I'm going to trust you. Through this whole series, and particularly these last few about the churches, the, the main point, really, you see it down there at the very bottom of your outline, the main point has just been if the shoe fits, wear it. If the shoe fits, wear it. Well, let me ask you, as the pastor of this church, if you're a regular attender here, if you're a member, and you see some things that we've just become comfortable in, that, that we've kind of become casual in, which could lead us to being crippled, to where we don't see it anymore, help us say something. Come talk to me if you don't, you know, you don't have to stand up on Sunday morning. Just come and talk to me and say, you know what, I'm afraid we're getting a little bit like the church at Laodicea. My friend Eddie Clyde likes to say it's about being at ease in Zion. Everything's good. Let's be desperate for the Lord. Completely dependent on Him so that we can become disciplined to walk with Him and enjoy Him. He says he is the true and faithful witness. So his words are true. The judgment was coming for this church, but he offers grace. And this morning, let me tell you this. The great news is not that Jesus is mad at you for your sin. The truth is, the wrath of God will be poured out on sin. And the other side to that truth is that Jesus went to the cross to offer grace so that we could escape that wrath of God. So he says, if anyone hears my voice, if anybody's there... Open the door. Receive me. Let me in. And I'll give you my grace. Lay it all down, he says. Admit that you got nothing. And trust Jesus this morning. Let's pray together. The hardest part of the the sermon will be right now, just so you know.